You are listening to the Innovative OT Podcast, where we firmly believe that role emerging and role enhancing areas of practice are the future of occupational therapy. Dr. Sarah Anderson, OTD, is a mental health and pediatric OT, OT educator, and entrepreneur. Listen in on the conversation as Dr. Anderson and other OT innovators share their plans, goals, dreams, and aspirations for the future of the profession. If you're ready for some inspiration, motivation, and encouragement, you're in the right place. Here's your host, Dr. Sarah Anderson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Innovative OT. This is episode seven, and I'm your host, Sarah. I have such a fantastic interview for you all today. I am going to be spending some time with Dr. Kathy Cavalier, and she works um, at Dominican College. She is a professor there, and she has developed something really cool. It is a sensory mental health clinic um, for students who attend Dominican College. On top of that, Kathy um, is immensely accomplished. She will be presenting at AOTA this year in Boston. I believe she's presenting on Friday. So look for her if you are interested in the topic of sensory health as it relates to mental health, physical health, and overall well-being. So I actually interviewed Kathy a while ago and the platform that I was using lost her interview, but she was so gracious to allow me to interview her one more time, which I am really excited to share with you all now. Um, there, The um, intro into her interview is a little bit awkward because we kind of just jumped right into it when I hopped on Zoom with her. So let's get to the interview. And Kathy, I want you to um, tell us about, a little bit about your background why you got into occupational therapy, and then what led you into being interested in sensory and mental health and how they relate specifically in um, a college atmosphere. Okay, so yeah, so I, um, you know, I've been an occupational therapist for over 20 years, um, and I've, I've, you know, I've always had an interest in <clears throat> sensory processing in some sort of format. So when I initially, um, you know, started out um, in it, my career in occupational therapy, I started in a um, in a rehab hospital. So I started working at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, and there I found myself really drawn to the neuro piece of it, um, specifically to the you know vision and vestibular piece of um, neuro rehab, and I became very active um, in 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 the visual skills. Um, um, rehabilitation program that we I was a part of starting at Kessler. Um, I became certified in vestibular um, rehabilitation as well. So from there, you know, um, I started becoming more and more interested um, I, in sensory processing, sort of, um, and its role in our behavior. And I, at that point, I started um, my my PhD, and I was, you know. I was really the the vestibular system was something that was really I was I was really interested in, but I needed more time to work on my PhD. So I um, sort of changed my area of practice, um, and I had been seeing more and more children at Kessler, and you know really you know thinking about um, you know sensory integration um, differently than sensory processing. Um, 
with adults, obviously. And so I um, started working in a school for children with autism. And it was there that I really sort of developed my research question for my doctoral work, um, you know, which was, you know, what's, you know, what is the, what is the process? What's going on in the brains of these, you know, children that's causing them to behave um, in certain ways? And um, is there anything sensory about this? And I really believe that there was because when we work with children, we see that using some sensory-based strategies and also sensory integration techniques, um, that the behavior changes, which means that there's something happening inside. Um, and so that, but at the, at the time, when I was doing my doctoral, when I started out um, in my doctoral program, which was in about 2000, there wasn't a lot of, an, <coughs> excuse me, information on, you know, physiologically, neurophysiologically, what was happening, what, it, what happens um, inside of the brains and the bodies of children with sensory processing challenges, whether it be children with autism, children with sensory processing um, dysfunctions, of all different types, ADHD. Um, and, you know, so so that was really my like burning, you know, clinical question was, there's gotta be, you know, where there's a behavior, there's something going on inside that causes that behavior. And, but there didn't seem to be a ton of information on that at the time. Um, then I came across the work of Lucy Miller, um, who really, you know, um, and that really struck me. And she was doing work utilizing, um, looking at just this, at the, you know, physiologic and neurophysiologic um, underpinnings of behavior in children with various conditions that also had sensory processing challenges. Um, and so that's sort of where I came in and I decided that's what I needed to be doing as well. So I sort of followed along and I, um, you know, reached out to her and she was very helpful um, in supporting me and mentoring me, as was um, Roseanne Schaff um, from Thomas Jefferson, who um, really, um, you know, um, was able to um, sort of guide me along in my, in my thinking about how I was going to, you know, you know, design a research project um, around this, you know, question that I had about the brain and behavior. Um, and so I ended up looking at um, vagal tone, which is a, um, a variable of heart rate variability um, in children with autism and typically uh, uh, developing children and looked at um, vagal tone as sort of an indirect measure of parasympathetic nervous system functioning in children with autism. And so we looked at how you know, the, para, the parasympathetic nervous system is responding to sensation um, in various different conditions of sensation using the sensory challenge protocol, which Lucy had developed. Um, and so um, I think I'm a little off, off track here. Um, you asked me, I think you asked me how I got, how I got into sensory. Um, it's, uh, it's harder too when we've, we've spoken before and you're yes. talking about, what did I say last time? No, I, this is, um, I think this is the type of information a lot of listeners are wanting to hear. Um, so that led you into like your, now your research, what your, your research for your, or your thesis for your PhD was specifically related to, was it measuring heart rate variability and vagal tone? Yes. In yes. Okay. yes. Yes. It was measuring heart rate variability. Um, <coughs> um, you know, Yes, through vagal tone um, in 
I looked at a group of children with autism and a, gr a group of typically uh, developing children. And we looked to see, you know, um, were there differences there? And we found that, the, that there were in fact differences there. And that the children with autism um, demonstrated a, a lower vagal tone than did typically uh, developing children. Um, we found that there were, that the children with autism demonstrated less flexibility in their ability to respond to the sensation than did children who are typically uh, developing. And that's, um, that's an important point because what, you know, what, what we think of in terms of, you know, sensory processing, but more so even self-regulation, right, is that we see, you know, I think of self-regulation as being this flexibility, right, in being able to respond to the environment, whether the environment is, um, you know, your internal environment, your external environment, and then whatever demands come with, with that. Um, and what we found was that children with autism were less able to flexibly respond differentially to the sensations that they were experiencing, as opposed to the typically developing children who, de who demonstrated more variability in their responses. So, uh, Kathy, then how did this research um, lead you into addressing and developing a sensory processing mental health program at Dominican College? Yeah, so, you know, that's sort of, I, I think that's really come through my clinical work, um, you know, so I've, I've worked in many different settings um, over the years, and most recently, um, I've had a private practice for about, I don't know, seven or eight years, um, where my private practice, you know, initiated as like a traditional kind of SI kind of clinic, um, where we saw, you know, children and teens, um, and it sort of evolved to more of a coaching and consulting practice at this point. What is um, your, what's your practice called, Kathy? It's um, it's called Sensory Smart Coaching and Consulting. Okay. And so, do you still have like a clinic where you do SI-based interventions, or is it primarily consulting and coaching now? So no, I don't. I actually sold my um, practice to um, another practice who uh, took it over. And I still think it's, you know, obviously that type of work is extremely, extremely important and needed. Um, but it wasn't where my, um, it wasn't where I found myself, um, I found myself doing more and more of the consulting um, and doing more and more of the coaching. And that's um, where I sort of evolved my practice into so that now I work um, in families' homes. Okay. And I also, um, I do a lot of um, work in school systems, um, you know, just sort of talking about this concept of um, what I've sort of evolved my thinking um, into really this concept of sensory health yeah. and what it means and, and the role of sensory health in promotion of positive mental health um, and, and just positive health overall, not just mental health, although that's, you know, you know, really seems to be an area that we need to support in our country, um, especially in teens, but, um, you know, just overall health and the really the um, really the impactful role that sensory health can have in that. So do you utilize, well, and I'm asking this question specifically because I think a lot of OT, OT practitioners, and I can specifically refer to my students, get confused you know, about all the different sensory charts, whether a sensory processing, is it sensory integration? Uh, yeah. integration? Yes. And it is confusing because, you know, you know, we as occupational therapists have a lot of words that we use for the same thing. Um, um, right? 
So when you're consulting, do you utilize more of an SI framework or more of a sensory processing and education framework? Sensory processing and education. Um, you know, um, right. I, I'm not, you know, in a clinic utilizing SI kinds of techniques um, per se when I'm working with, you know, um, a school system or when I'm even when I'm working with a family from home, yes, might might I incorporate some SI techniques? Might I bring in, you know, might I, you know, bring in, you know, my astronaut board and do some of that work? Maybe, um, but really, my 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 lens comes from more of this, you know, um, educational um, empowerment kind of kind of um, role where I feel like I I want to give the family the individual, the teen, whomever I'm working with, the information that they need to, um, you know, then figure out ways to um, self-regulate within their environment to, that obviously, you know, impacts relationships and participation and all of that. That's fantastic, Kathy. I love that model. Um, I've, I've been hearing a lot of OTs who are starting to branch out and do more of the coaching consulting, um, sensory processing um, based um, methods because, um, they're, I mean, they're seeing a lot of progress and I think we can reach people more. And then I have another question. Um, my mind kind of deviated. So hold on one sec. About what I was going to ask you. Oh, in the schools, can you kind of paint a picture for me? What does it look like when you're consulting with a school? Do you have a school contract where you're going in providing school-based therapy or are you providing like, again, more of that sensory processing education to the school and implementing programming for students, staff, teachers? Yes. So more of, of the, of the latter. I do not have contracts where I go into, you know, you know, um, uh, provide traditional types of OT services in the school. I go in more on a consulting basis in terms of providing this education because really, you know, this, and I, 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 I approach it from a sensory health perspective, right? And that this is, this is how we can stay, you know, we can promote positive mental health right now, you know, all schools are really focused on on mental health as as they should be right as they should be because we're we as i said we're we're you know our children were in this you know crisis in terms of of you know childhood and adolescent mental health issues and so I approach it from that perspective, um, going and talking to the teachers about what sensory health means, what it is, and why it's important, and then talking to you know, I just started in uh, in one middle school and we're working in small advising groups so that I can work with the students on talking to them a little bit more intimately about what sensory health means um, and what it might mean to them in particular, and then working on different strategies that they can use um, to keep regulated at home, at school, um, and then, you know, doing some kinds of um, self-reflection. So after they go home and try a couple of things, coming back and then talking about it and talking about it from a, a perspective of not, and it's not just sensory-based strategies either, which I kind of want to make clear also. It's, I mean, yes, it's, it's based, a lot of things are sensory-based, but even things like if you're feeling really, you know, tired or your arousal is starting uh, you know, to go down, you know, maybe call a friend yeah. on the phone and talk to somebody, you know, and, and, you know, we don't consider that a sensory based strategy per se. Right. But it's something that can, you know, 
elevate your mood and increase your arousal. So, so even things like that um, are things that I'm, um, I'm sort of trying to talk to them about. I love it, Kathy. And um, so can, okay, so from the last time that we talked, it sounds like your consulting and coaching is semi-similar. The, the, the foundation of it is very similar to what you're doing at Dominican College. Yes, it is. It is. Um, so we're, we're starting, um, started a program called the Take Charge Program. And basically it's, it's a sensory health clinic in essence, um, but it's working with students who are struggling for whatever reason it may be, whether they're struggling, um, you know, academically, whether they're struggling um, with mental health challenges, um, or whether they just are struggling. Um, you know, when you go to school for the first time as a freshman, and all of a sudden you're not at home anymore, um, and you don't you don't have all the structure and support that your parents maybe or your family uh, provided for you, it can be a little bit of a um, of an unsure time. So we're starting something called the Take Charge Program, which is um, again it's it's it, it's sensory health based in that over time in this clinic, it's sort of a 12 week program that we're um, implementing for, you know, the first session or two are evaluative, right? So we'll be looking at um, sensory processing profiles, um, executive functions, um, interoceptive skills, right? Which is part of that sensory processing profile and quality of life measures. And we're looking at, you know, um, you know, you know, are these students, um, you know, happy and successful in their roles? From there, we're um, working on, you know, sensory awareness, which is a big part of sensory health, right? Um, and then diving into um, regulation, um, diving into some aspects of interoception, diving into some aspects of executive functions and how that affects overall participation. Mm -hmm. um, so. So you have, okay, so you have the 12, the Take Charge program, and it's 12 weeks, and then are you seeing students, like, one-on-one -on -one weekly as yeah. well? Okay. Yeah, so, so, so the Take Charge program is a, a 12-week program. They, uh, the students will come once a week for an hour, for, depending on the week, an hour to an hour and a half, and, um, you know, depending on the needs of the students, we are, um, we are breaking them up into smaller groups and meeting with them individually within that time frame, so that they can do some group work, you know, possibly on, you know, interoceptive awareness kinds of things, if that's what they need, or they're doing some individual work, possibly on executive functions, um, if that's what they need, or they're working on really identifying their individual, um, you know, sensory profile styles, and, you know, possibly working with one of our OT students on something, um, you know, a little bit more tailored to what they're looking for at that moment. So it's kind of, there's several things happening at once. And um, we have um, a group of OT students who are working with us. Um, and they're, they're sort of helping me man the clinic um, at the same time. Okay. Um, um, so Kathy, we also, because um, we talked about this last time, but I think this is really important, and I know a lot of people find it interesting because um, 
like if I've said before, I've seen more people wanting to utilize um, a model similar to what you're doing. What assessments do you use prior um, before treating each of the, the clients you see? So, you know, it depends on who I'm seeing and where I'm seeing them. Um, for instance, that's if if we're talking about the uh, take charge clinic, there we're, we're keeping it, you know, you know, pretty focused and simple, and it's. It's the sensory profile, it's the interoceptive awareness, uh, the uh, complete, the comprehensive interoceptive awareness assessment. Um, it's the, um, the quality of life inventory, and it's the uh, brief A, the executive functioning um, okay. measure. Yep. So those are what we're looking at in the Take Charge Clinic. If I'm, if I'm working with students, um, for, in, in the middle school at this point, again, because this is a promotion um, program as opposed to like a, a prevention or intervention program, if, if we're thinking about it, you know, in that three-tiered model, yeah. um, you know, it's just a sensory profile. Okay. And it's just saying, let's get to kind of understand ourselves a little bit better. Okay. okay. Um, so it, it really depends on, you know, on what it is um, and where it is I'm working. I love it. You take in sensory in a whole new direction, I think. And I think it um, is really expansive. And like you said, you can also, you can utilize this type of programming for promotion, prevention, as well as treatment and being able to see the whole, um, the, like the whole gamut of how you can apply sensory is really important, especially in today's world with our mental health crisis. Now, Catherine, I have another question for you. Do you, um, do you provide co um, consultation to OTs or OT practitioners who are so, interested in jumping into this type of programming? So yeah, <laughs> um, yes, actually, okay. um, I, I, I don't have anything formally done yet. Um, I'm actually talking with somebody about doing this because okay. because it it is something that's um, really um, you know really I think sort of just. A new way of looking at things, not necessarily new, but different. And and I'm not sure that's always taught in school. Um, so I so I I think that it is something that um, needs to needs to have a little bit of you know continuing education. That not that they not that the OTs don't necessarily have the skill set within them for this kind of work, but it's about sort of reframing it. Right. And, but I, and I do think though, you know, as OTs and OTAs continue pursuing more non-traditional practice or entrepreneurship, it is really important to reflect back on your own skill set and think, am I ready for this or do I need to be mentored by an expert? And Absolutely. my time spent with you, Kathy, you are definitely an expert and this is a area of interest and passion I have as well. And I think because of that, I feel strongly that Anyone who wants to enter this type of um, area of OT really needs to know what they're doing and also needs to seek out mentorship because if you don't, um, sometimes there could be gaps in the education you're providing, but anyone mm -hmm. Want to make sure that um, we know we know what we're doing and that we're providing yes. the best possible care that we can in using evidence-based practice. And um, I think that when it comes to OT education, 
you're right in a lot of schools i don't think we necessarily provide as much information on sensory processing and how we can develop programming specifically for that i think we do a good job most schools on like sensory integration um mm -hmm. yeah processing and all the the options out there for sensory processing program we really don't educate students as much on that I agree. I agree. And, and I think I think the students of today, too, um, from what I see in my teaching, um, they are they're they're looking for what's 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 new. They're looking for what you know, what they can contribute. And um, I think this is a, a really, um, a really large area that can really um, we can do so much with. Oh, I mean, yes, I could not agree more, Kathy. And, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things I'm doing too is um, the, uh, I have a friend who opened up um, a gym for women. Um, and one of the things I'm doing is I'm going in and talking about the role of sensory health in, um, in sort of taking control over your health for women and what it can, you know, what understanding your sensory processing profiles and patterns um, can do to your sense of taking control of yeah. your health of your life well and as women man we go through so many transitions in life <laughs> and, and i mean having my daughter turned seven months last week and even just reflecting on that you know everything from prior to pregnancy to pregnancy to postpartum my sensory preferences i wouldn't say have changed but have maybe intensified like mm -hmm. Especially the three, four months postpartum, you're just a ball of angst and everything's new and you feel like, am I ever going to feel like myself again? But, you know, having a strong foundation and background in sensory, I was really able to utilize sensory-based interventions to um, help myself regulate. Whether it was, you know, knowing what kinds of candles I liked around the house or, um, it sounds silly, but even like fabrics of blankets, just during that period of time, the, the the simple sensory strategies really helped or a cup of coffee or tea or you know knowing do you need light music in the background what do you need to support yourself so you can get through this but then as we age we also go through menopause and then you know we um i have not yet gone through that but i can only assume that that's a whole nother stage where maybe um either your sensory preferences may change or you may need to utilize sensory-based strategies differently. Absolutely. I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think you said that you do some work, Sarah, with um, moms and babies. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm actually tomorrow. Um, I'm, I'm going to do a presentation at a place called Modern Milk here in Arizona. There's one in Gilbert and one in Scottsdale and they provide services for moms. So whether they're pregnant, postpartum, um, they have all sorts of programming, yoga, pelvic floor. And then they also do that. They have a new mom's class. So all of the babies are uh, between like four weeks and 10 weeks. So you get a group of moms. I was part of this um, program, which is how I found it when I had my daughter and mm -hmm. provide um, different educators come in. So whether it's like um, we had a pediatric dentist, we had a speech pathologist, and it's all geared towards supporting moms and babies in that first year of life. So mine is on um, providing moms with education on self-regulation and how sensory um, can impact self-regulation for both the mom as well as the baby. 
and being able to do it seamlessly and under, helping moms understand, you know, everything that we do so naturally as moms, whether we're rocking our baby, some of the babies like to be rocked, you know, side to side. My daughter prefers to be up and down, whether they like a sound machine or music or dim lighting, how, how all of that impacts their ability to self-regulate, but also promotes those self-regulation skills throughout their early years, but then also helping moms understand what do you need, you know, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. how important it is and how even the most simple things that we do to help regulate ourselves, um, really not, they're not really so simple. You know, I like to give the example to my students, um, like when I'm in the car and I'm in traffic, I sometimes, the, Traffic in Phoenix is not too bad, but every once in a while there's a traffic jam and I hate getting stuck in traffic. And I'll notice, I'll always sit with my like um, left leg, like up in the seat, like pushing out on the door. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It provides me with input and it's really grounding for me. Um, but even like the music I listen in the morning, you know, compared to the music or podcasts I listen on my way home, depending on whether I need to be, you know, calmed or amped up really depends on what I'm doing. And I think because we're OTs, it's so seamless for us. We understand why we're doing these things, but the majority of the population doesn't. They, no. you know, they just don't have the education we do. So I think us being able to provide that, you know, in our communities is really important. I really think, yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with you. And I think that, um, you know, you know, this, this, you know, every our society is so health focused right now, right? Our society is focused on every facet of health, right? Emotional health and and you know and and intellectual health and physical health and mental health. And I think the missing piece is sensory health. Yeah, completely. And and, and you know that's really what um, what I, I hope to bring to people, you know, not just clients, but people um, everywhere is this concept of, you know, sensory health as being really, really important in this overall picture of health that we, that we, that we, I think we as a society um, are pretty well versed on at this point, but there's this really important piece that seems to be missing. And so I hope that, um, you know, that's something I can bring. Yes. Oh my gosh. I absolutely think you can, Kathy. And, you know, sensory health, I mean, people don't think about it, but it's tied to all other aspects of health. You know, I even think about when we take my daughter out to busy places, she, she, she does really well. Like she's very quiet. She's not a typically fussy baby, but knowing when we're in a loud place, when she gets quiet, it doesn't necessarily mean that she's not overwhelmed. It's just her body's response is more to shut down than to, mm-hmm. to get upset. And um, I even just think for people to understand how sensory impacts their behavior and how behavior, you know, like you said, is really just a manifestation of something happening within our body and how sensory plays such an important piece, you know, whether it's, you know, people have social anxiety for all sorts of reasons, but that social anxiety could be greatly tied to environment, which is, you know, greatly affected by the sensory stimuli within that environment and being able to help people understand that sensory plays such a huge role in how we regulate and um, feel. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, just yesterday, we're, um, I'm, 
I think I had mentioned to you the last time that we talked that I'm doing sort of this large scale narrative review along with my um, OT research students on um, on the role of sensory processing in different aspects of life. Yeah. You know, um, being one of them being resilience, relationships. Um, we have one on criminality behaviors. We have one on addictions. We so yeah. we on, on on all these different facets, right? And so yesterday, I'm sitting there and um, we're 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 getting ready to present our findings at, at the AUTA conference. And I'm trying. I'm sitting there with a colleague of mine, and we're trying to put this into a concept map. My m what what my theory version take on sensory health looks like. Mm -hmm. And so we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure this out, but I think I finally got something down on paper that, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, we use the analogy of the uh, tree and how, you know, the foundation or the roots and those roots are, you know, are, you know, our mental functions, our cognitive functions, our sensory functions, you know, the basic functions, right, are all down in those roots. And then sensory health is the, is the actual trunk of the tree, right? right? And, it's, and it's things such as, you know, um, awareness and self-regulation, both of those involve sensory health. And they're sort of in the middle. And then up top are the branches, and those are our occupations. And the leaves, right? And so, and so, it's sort of right in the middle. So it's not foundational, foundational as we think of foundations being, but it's sort of that in between yep. that allows us for that successful participation, right? Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, there's internal and external factors that are involved in that. But you know, it's uh, you know, that's how really how I see it. It's the, it, an understanding of this concept of sensory health allows us to do things more that make us feel good, right? And to do things less that don't. Um, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to use our sensory systems for productivity and for occupation. In that, the findings from what you have done, Kathy, are going to be huge for our profession. Um, I know there is an OT in Scottsdale, and I'm sure there's other OTs all over. I just know um, that Rebecca is doing, she does a lot of specific sensory programming um, at a substance abuse clinic here in Scottsdale, and she's had huge success with her participants because um, the sensory health was never something they ever learned and how it relates to the ability to self-regulate and then how that in turn impacted their desire and consistent use of, of different substances. And then I also think when you were mentioning if and how does sensory processing, sensory health relate to criminality, I can't, yeah. I cannot wait for you to present yeah. such, in, such fascinating information. It's really fascinating, and you know, um, you know, once we put it all together, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I hope people come and listen because I think it, um, it, it, it really, um, again, speaks to the important role it has in really, you know, having the ability to shape our behavior mm -hmm. and to influence our patterns and our choices in life, and whether those patterns and choices are, you know, have a positive connotation or a negative connotation, I think then comes from those external and internal factors. So it's a dynamic relationship, but um, you know, there's some, there's some pretty clear evidence um, that um, really it's not necessarily even about the sensory processing pattern that we're seeing, but what, what, what the research has been leading us towards is that it's this um, concept of um, 
our responses to that. Right. So our self-regulation. Right. Oh, I I think you will have so many people attend your session. And for anyone <laughs> listening, I'm, you know, I think this type of thinking and occupational therapy is going to be so important for our profession. Um, and I think it's the way that healthcare is going to go. It's not just about treatment, but it's about promotion. <laughs> it's about prevention. It's about providing coaching and consult services so we can meet the needs of more people. Um, but again, it's important that people are really well educated in whatever they're choosing to, um, to go into that you do need to have a really strong foundation and whether that's you choose to do, you know, a level one and or two mentorship at the star center with yeah. clinic or, um, and I know that she just retired, but you know, she, she did, I know <laughs> important. she built that place, you know, and, or if, you know, um, for listeners, you choose to reach out to Dr. Cavalier because, um, she's definitely an expert. You are an expert, Kathy, in this area. And I just love the way you're you're taking and pioneering this area for OT. Oh, well, thank you. And and I, you know, um, again, you know, the, I I think this is this is um, you know, what a value one of one of many valuable contributions that occupational therapists can make to health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you have any, any interest, Kathy, in um, looking at sensory processing in dementia? Well, yes. <laughs> um, yes, I do. Um, and it's funny because we looked at, um, you know, as part of this narrative, we review, we sort of had to pare down a lot. But one of the things that we really wanted to look at was what happens to people, um, not only in dementia, but with aging. Yes. Um, right. And, and, um, there's not a lot out there. No, there's not. There really there, there's really not. And we actually had to, that wasn't something we could even include because there was so little out there. There's a, like a few studies that we found about, you know, actual, you know, uh, decline in like visual functions or like auditory functions and how that relates to quality of life, um, which is huge. And that's, and it speaks to the huge impact of sensory in our lives mm-hmm. um but there's really not a, not a ton out there and yes of course i'm interested in that well Absolutely. I, I am i'm in the process of doing um a project with that a research project with that and if you if you want i would love to chat with you at some time about maybe um if you'd want to um, join in i think your expertise would be really great especially when it comes to looking at the data and then even like going forward, like how could we expand? And partially, you know, my passion's always been in sensory, but in de- dementia is becoming really prevalent in Arizona. Um, mm. We have one of the highest populations and um, we're continuing because um, we have a, you know, a, a large aging population here. But even, you know, just a few weeks ago, I saw something published with um, like in a housing um, article stating we have so many individuals starting to be diagnosed with dementia that are moving away from their homes that there's yeah. some like this oh, not necessarily a crisis but a lot of homes available but we also don't have systems in place to support individuals moving into facilities and what is it how are we going to um, address this need that sounds amazing I mean that sounds like a, a really important important topic um, yes, I would absolutely love to, um, you know, you know, talk with you about that more. Um, yeah. it, 
again, you know, you sound like the epitome of the innovative OT, Sarah. Um, you know, I mean, so do you, Kathy. So I like talking to people like you. It's, you know, there's, I feel like there's just so much that we can do as OTs that, you know, and I think because of the personalities that we have, you know, for those of us who've chosen to go into this profession, sometimes we're not always the greatest at, um, being confident in ourselves in yes. out non-traditional opportunities that, you know, my goal for this podcast is to give people confidence in, you know, to show them and introduce them to people who have really, you know, really expanded the field of OT. Yeah. I mean, I think it's wonderful and I think it's um, needed. And again, I think it's, it's, it's where the new age of students are looking to go. Um, they're looking to see where, where they can come in. They're looking to see what they can do to add to what is already being done. And so I think this is um, really important, not only, you know, for them, but, but for all of us who maybe are, are, you know, maybe there's other people out there who are stuck and not sure what to do next. Right. You know, so I think, I think it can serve a lot of people what, what you're doing. Hi. Okay. Sorry. Um, so, you know, Sarah, what you were saying about, you know, advanced training um, in sort of the sensory coaching and consulting model um, in, in, in this sensory health model is, I think is really, um, is really applicable. And I, I, you know, I, I say this to some of some teachers, um, you know, a, a lot of teachers or a lot of school professionals now, you know, um, are really big on, you know, what they call sensory integration or sensory yeah. processing, right? And so they think, you know, oh yes, you know, I have a sensory friendly classroom. I have, you know, wobble chairs and I have bean bags and I have, you know, you know, all these other kinds of things. Um, um, and it's all really great. And it's and it's I mean, wow, we've come so long since when I was working in the schools, that was not, you know, that was not there. It, you know, that did not happen 15 years ago. That didn't happen 10 years ago. And I think now, you know, it, this this concept of sensory integration or sensory processing is so is so out there in the educational world, but I think my fear is that it's not always being utilized um, correctly in, in an individualistic manner. So so that you know you know a child they may see a child who's really you know wiggly, right? And they may think, oh, that child needs a beanbag to calm down. Whereas, no, that child needs the wiggle chair or, you know what I mean? So really being able to, to differentiate based on an understanding of, of, you know, really what's happening in the body in terms of sensory processing is super, super important. Not just looking at, um, you know, these two kids look the same way, therefore they must need the same things. Right. Absolutely, Kathy. And it's so interesting that you brought that up because I, um, I'm doing a little bit of consulting work for a school right now. And there was a kiddo where they requested specifically a sensory evaluation or a sensory assessment done. Um, the school is a, a school for the deaf. So um, they have some very unique profile some of these kiddos do they're such just wonderful amazing people but their way of regulating especially this kiddo is by being um, very active in like fidgeting with pencils and rolling pencils and doing things with their hands and the teacher you know had commented that they would really like them to stop and I said but I believe that this is 
this you know child's way of regulating and if you're going to ask them to stop doing x y and z because it's disruptive we need to find a replacement but putting a lap pad on this kid isn't going to work uh, <sighs> And that's what's happening in the schools. It's a misunderstanding of what sensory is and what sensory strategies are. And um, as an OT, we just have a very different lens when we're looking at people and we're able to understand what's the function of the behavior. And I think for school professionals, they need more education on just because the behavior is bothering you doesn't mean it's dysregulating for the child. And we right. balance of if it's dysregulating for everybody, Yes, maybe we need to find something different, but we need to replace it with a regulating behavior, not one we, that we think the child needs. Absolutely, that, you're absolutely right in that. So, Kathy, before I, ha I have class at 11, but before we end, I wanted to ask you, what is one piece of advice that you would give an OT who is considering going into you know, role emerging practice? To be confident in what it is you know as an occupational therapist. I think that we are, you know, I believe that occupational therapists are occupational therapists to the core. Um, I don't think it's just a job for us. I think it's a lot more than that. Um, I think we see things differently. Um, and I think we approach situations differently. And so understanding that, um, and understanding that can give you that confidence that 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 you you know what you're talking about you know what you can offer because it's part of who you are now and so to be really confident in your approach mm. Kathy that is such wonderful advice and with that everyone I'm going to end this week's episode on the innovative OT I will see you next time